So I, I want to begin this morning with a really dumb joke. You good for that? All right. So this man has to go in for his physical, and while he is being examined, the doctor finds that he has a very serious issue. In fact, it's, it's, it's too bad for him to tell the guy directly, so he asks for the man's wife to step in so that he can tell her what the issue is and, and how serious it is. And, and so he says to, to the wife, he says, so your husband has a real serious illness, and the only way that you can save his life is for you to offer him a very stress-free environment. Therefore, he needs to quit work immediately and, and just concentrate on golf, video games, and ESPN. In addition to that, you need to offer him three home-cooked meals every day. The house needs to remain spotless, plus you will now have to do the yard work. And finally, you must always agree with him and never tell him he's wrong. So she left and climbed in the car, and he said to her, so what's going to happen? She said, you're going to die. So the question this morning is, what is really essential for us to live? On December 1st, 1995, this article ran in the LA Times, coming from Washington, DC. The article said this, the Reverend Richard C. Halverson, who retired in March after 14 years as chaplain of the US Senate, has died. He was 79. Halverson, who was the 60th Senate chaplain, died Tuesday. The Senate passed a resolution Wednesday night honoring Halverson and expressing its profound sorrow and deep regret at his death. Evangelist Billy Graham, who met Halverson in 1949, called him probably the most loved and respected chaplain the United States Senate has ever known. The North Dakota native held degrees from Wheaton College and Princeton Theological Seminary and worked in churches in Kansas City, Missouri, Bethesda, Maryland, and Kalinga, California. In Los Angeles, he was Minister of Leadership Education at Hollywood First Presbyterian Church from 1947 to 1956. Discussing his California years at a San Diego prayer breakfast last year, Halverson said he originally moved to Hollywood in the 1930s, intending to seek his fame and fortune in the entertainment industry. But six months after arriving, he said, I signed my life over to Jesus Christ. Halverson was chairman of, the Wor of World Vision U.S. from 1966 to 1983 and participated in pastor's conferences around the world. On his last day as chaplain, senators applauded him after his final session opening prayer and line then lined up to shake his hand. Many praised the guidance Halverson gave not only to them but also to the police officers, janitors, food service workers, and other Senate employees. Earlier that year in May of 1995, Six friends and I stood at a window, staring out over the Capitol building, watching as Richard Halverson was making his way out of the Capitol to cross C Street and join us for a few moments. It took him a while to get to us, not because he was slow because of age, but because every time he took a step, someone else stopped him to talk to him, whether it was a Capitol policeman or a senator or, or a staff member 
It was somebody stopping to talk to him, and he finally made his way in. And, and on his way in, he had no idea by the end of the year that he would be dead. And if he could assess what is most important in life, it would be interesting to think of what he would have said if he knew that he was going to die at the end of that year. But I think he had a pretty good idea because when he came in, he sat down at a table with us and his very first words were these. Has it ever occurred to you that relationships are not a means to an end? They are the end. Could it be that how we treat each other, how we treat our family, how we treat our enemies, how we treat those who we think are politically off base, how we treat the heterosexual, how we treat the homosexual, how we treat the transgender, how we treat the atheist, how we treat the Hindu, how we treat the Muslim, how we treat the Buddhist, how we treat the pagan, how we treat the Church of Elvis. Could it be that how we treat anyone is essential to life? As devoted followers of Jesus, we have said that we have dedicated our lives to work out life the way that Jesus did. That's why Jesus said, come follow me. And we say that we're Jesus followers. And didn't Jesus love those who were opposed to him? Didn't Jesus love the imperfect? Didn't Jesus love the sinner? Which is a good thing. Because there have been times that I've been opposed to him. There have been times, many times, and I still am imperfect. And I think that sometimes there's still sin in me. In fact, I know there's still sin in me that I hate to even admit is still there that I'm working through. Paul the Apostle called himself the chief of sinners, and then he made the statement. He said, follow me as I follow Jesus. Then he showed them how Jesus would function within the community. And in one of the most arrogant, spiritual, and liberal faith communities in the first century, Paul the Apostle strips away all the non-essentials in one of the most poetic pieces he would ever write. And he starts it this way, and he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not what? Love. I'm a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So Paul begins with talking about tongues. This was a big issue in Corinth. 
In fact, it was one of the major reasons he wrote the, the letter to the church in Corinth, because those who were speaking in tongues felt that it gave them a spiritual badge, that they were, they were just so much more godly and spiritual than the rest of those people, and, and they had this, this hierarchy that they established. So he said, if I speak in tongues of men, and, and for you that are not acquainted with this, there is this thing that the Holy Spirit does when a corporate body gathers together, that he will begin to, that God will speak through the Holy Spirit through someone in a language that they have not naturally acquired. I've heard it happen. I can tell you it's real. And in this case, he talks about tongues of men, meaning that someone could begin to speak in a language that they did not know before that very moment, but other men or women understand it. It would be like if, if, if Pam and I went to our favorite Chinese restaurant and hung out with some, some friends who own that, that we've grown to know and, and love, who are from China. And Pam suddenly had this sense that she needed to speak in tongues in that setting and began to declare in the tongues of men in Mandarin, which she does not know. I know she doesn't know Mandarin. And began to declare in Mandarin some, some, some things she declared, and they began to understand it as an utterance of, of worship to God, declaring who God is, and in doing so, it opened up their hearts to him. That'd be pretty cool. It happens. He said, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, there is at those moments that God will speak through someone with a, long, with a language they've not naturally acquired. It actually is the heavenly language. It's an angel language. It's a language that, that we don't know on earth, but God says it happens in heaven. Now, when that happens, there's got to be an interpretation. So what if we're sitting there and I begin to give out an utterance of a heavenly language and Pan begins to interpret it for them, either in English or in Mandarin? You say, oh, can that really happen? Let me, let me tell you. I've been in settings where there has been a, a heavenly language given and over in the section where the people are deaf who cannot even hear it, someone there begins to interpret with their hands. I've seen it happen. So, so I begin to declare this in, in, in a heavenly language. Pam begins to interpret it. And, and, and perhaps our friend's child has been having nightmares, and so somewhere in that interpretation, there is a declaration that the nightmares are coming from a fear, and it describes what that fear is. And it brings them the beginnings of peace. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels... He said, and if I prophesy? Prophecy is, is speaking forth for God in, in a language that, that we know. And so, so what if, if I began to prophesy and I just said to them, I think God wants you to know that, that this whole idea of you opening up a restaurant over in Harbor Creek, God wants you to be aware of these issues you need to know. God could do that. Wouldn't that be awesome? When they go, ooh, who told you that? Well, God said. He said, what if I spoke in mysteries? That, that we, things we didn't know before suddenly become apparent. So, so Pam begins to talk to, to them and, and says, hey, you know, 
I have the sense that God is saying, and let me ask you a question. Did you bring any ancestral things with you from China when you came over? And as she begins to, they begin to say, she says, I think that this thing with this ancestral connection may be bringing some spiritual forces against your child, bringing the fear that if you remove that thing, it may help make that dissipate. Could happen, and wouldn't that be awesome? He said, if I speak in tongues and if I prophesy, and if, if I have mysteries, he said, and, and, and what if, what if I sacrificed? What if, if, if Pastor Don here decided that he was going to sell everything he had and give it to the poor, everything, because of his love for God and for people? That'd be awesome. That would make people know that something is just just incredible. I mean, he'd even give his big screen TV away. It'd be amazing. Actually, it's not very big. I've seen it. It's a a small screen TV. But what if he went further? What if he said, not only that, and and, and in your translation, what, what I just read was, Paul said, if I gave my body to be burned, and it's a really interesting translation because it's difficult because it's just... Sometimes our words in English don't match what the original language was. And it actually means if I go to an extreme of sacrifice, if I have this incredible sacrifice that I give away everything, including my very life if I need to, would that not be awesome? Would that not be incredible? In fact, Paul the Apostle would describe later on in his second letter to the church in Corinth, he would tell them, that that he had he had been beaten and flogged and and he had been in danger and and he'd been stoned and shipwrecked and danger from bandits and from Gentiles and labored just to live and he was sleepless and hungry and thirsty and naked and he said I did all this for Jesus and I could boast in that but what I'm boasting in that I did all of that I sacrificed all of that stuff so that you would find Jesus and I boast in the fact that you found him that is so great that is so awesome man who wouldn't want that on their resume. That is so great, but maybe not. Maybe it's not so great. Because we run into a problem here. They had tongues happening, but it was causing confusion. They had prophecy, and it was causing division. They had mystery, and it was causing pride. They were speaking mysteries, and it was pride. And then they had sacrificed. And it was self-focused. They even had this incredible thing of, of faith happening. I mean, wouldn't it be great if, if Pam and I sitting in that Chinese restaurant could have pulled over to the sun and said, we're going to pray for you and believe that God's going to take out of, out of you that fear and push back those forces that are against you. And we pray for him. And that night he sleeps soundly for the first time in months. But the problem with their faith is their faith in Corinth had become faith in faith and not faith in Jesus. What was the issue? I think it boils down to a formula that I learned somewhere in elementary school. And math was not my big deal. Still isn't. But there is this formula. And and I understand addition, and I understand multiplication. Five times five is. Five times four is. Five times three is. Five times two is. Five times one is, 
Okay, so now I got to this whole thing on zero. I said, I've had five things and there's zero things over here. I still have five things. Not in multiplication. Anything times zero is what? Is zero. It took me a while to, to figure that because I'm saying I have, I have these things. I have these things. How can they be zero? And the big issue is the zero. Anything times zero is zero. And the problem we have is this. Anything without love is zero. Anything. 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 So there's this true story that just recently happened, and I want to tell you about it, but it didn't happen here, so don't try to figure it out. You won't know the people. There is these two ladies. This one highly offended this one and caused a rift, a deep, deep rift in their relationship. The mom and dad of this young lady have taken offense for her because how deep the pain is that she's feeling that this person, they said, caused it. Now, this girl has tried to reconcile with this girl, but the pain is too deep. And sometimes our pain is so deep, we don't know how much it has affected our relationship with God or how deep that pain is, and it takes a while. But there is no reconciliation. Mom and dad are not only ticked off at her, they're ticked off at mom and dad over here, or I mean husband and wife over here, of this girl and her husband. Now, it just so happens that mom and dad over here are elders in the church, and they are used in tongues, and they have prophesied, and they have revealed mysteries, and, and they have faith, and they have sacrificed, and every Sunday morning, you'll find them at the front of their church as elders praying over people, asking God for miracles. They're wonderful people. Now, when this girl and her husband come to worship in the same place, and this man and woman who are elders see them, they turn around and walk away. They will not connect because they are so deeply hurt. The husband of this girl has just come into a relationship with Jesus and begun the journey of knowing Jesus. And his response to this is, why should I go to that location, to that church, if they stand before people and do those things, but yet they cannot love me? What is that all about? And to those two people, that man and woman who are elders in the church, and in many situations, all of us could put ourselves in their place at one time or another. Anything without love is what? Zero. Without love, we have missed the essential point of following Jesus in the first place. 
Because Jesus said, this commandment I give you, that you love one another. That's the deal. Love one another. See, what's at stake in this is not this activity because those things will still go on and then people will be touched by that. And that's a great thing. God doesn't negate that because people are absorbing that and being changed. But what, what it, what's the problem is it's the person who didn't love. They're the ones that are missing out and are being hurt in the process. If our lives are not given to loving, then we start with zero. See, the problem in Corinth was this stuff was supposed to be good, but it was creating a mess. And so Paul says, let me, let me just tell you, tongues without love is a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He said, why did he use that? Because those are the very noises that came from the pagan temples. Those were their worship expressions. And he said, I don't care if you stand at Erie First Assembly and raise your hands and, and worship with Jen as she's leading this morning, and you're loving God. If it's not in love for other people, then you sound to me like those who are worshiping pagan gods. And it's getting you nowhere. And by the way, this doesn't mean that I didn't love a person in a specific instance. It means if you're not a person of love, So, so if you're speaking in tongues and, and, and trying to be prophetic or whatever, and I'm going to tell you that it sounds to me like idol worship. And if you prophesy and you don't have love, if, if, you, if you reveal mysteries and you don't have love, if you have faith and you don't have love, it means zero. And if you sacrifice but it's not a life of love. You have gained nothing. Zero. And it's not that, that, that God is saying, and Paul is saying that you can have tongues because they're great, but instead just love. What he's saying is this, that for those gifts to function, they function within the realm of love. That, that the heart of Jesus is within us and the heart of Jesus always pumps out the lifeblood of love into tongues and into prophecy and into mystery, into sacrificing, into faith. It pumps through those things, those, those actions, if it's from God. If not, it's zero. And Paul's not saying that he's, he's not going to sacrifice anymore. What he is saying is this, that, that what's happening to us if we're sacrificing, if we're giving to people, if we show up next Saturday to, to work in that community outreach, which you will because you love people, but you don't do it in love if you're not a person of love. then it's absolutely no good. We must put on the love of Jesus to everyone. Do you know 
that, that you can give to the poor. But if you hate somebody that sits on that side of the auditorium and you sitting over here, then you have just canceled out what you did. Man, if, if you weren't loving to your spouse this morning and, and, and you guys were tearing it up and then you got here going, oh, it's great this morning. Jesus, I love you. Please protect me from my spouse. <laughs> You've got to get that taken care of. For everyone. See, we have this tendency to think that these spiritual gifts function for the spiritual. That it happens within a setting like this. But those giftings are to be used wherever God says, I need them to be used, and they are to be done in love. So I have a friend who's been a friend now, I think, like 15 years. And he lives a lifestyle that most Christians would say, going to hell. And we have spent time talking, and we have a friendship, and, and, and he and I have, have talked about spiritual things, and, and I have even spoken into his life things that I think God has told me prophetically for him. But you say, wait, he, he disqualifies for the spiritual side. Why would God waste that on him? He texted me a few weeks ago, and, and he was in a really bad situation. He doesn't live in this area anymore, and, and there's a bad situation happening. And I said, I'll pray with you that God will rearrange that. And God did a miraculous thing. God gave him a miracle. You say, but wait, wait, if you do that, then you're condoning his lifestyle. No. See, love does not have its boundaries that says, that says, I can only love these people and only be spiritual with these people and only run with these people and only bless these people. I, try to find that one. Even in the Old Testament, God led Joseph through some horrendous things to get him in Egypt so that he could speak into a pagan king's life and save a pagan nation. That we would have said, wipe them out. You say, but you're condoning. There's this great passage in, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 145, verse 13. It says, the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his work. He, he's, he's faithful in his words, meaning that he has integrity. To what he says, he sticks to. But what he acts in life, according to his truth, he is kind, loving. Kindness does not mean condoning. We can still love without condoning the action, but love is what validates our integrity. I can still be kind to someone that I totally disagree with their lifestyle, and I can still love them and care for them and speak spiritual gifts into them, and I, can, and, and I reveal Jesus as much as I can to them. I may not agree with them, but I still love them, and I will treat them in kindness. Because anything without love is zero. Anything. 
It's what's essential. It is our lifeblood. It is our priority. I have another formula I want to share with you, and it's this one. One plus one equals what? Two. See, in life, anything times zero is zero. Anything times that which without love is zero. In love, one plus one sometimes does not equal two. Take a peek at this. Do you think God is uh, really restoring and reconciling and recovering everything? It's the, it's the Rilke poem. I don't know enough about pain yet because it makes me feel so small, right? I've seen God redeem things um, in really horrible places, and that's the hope. Do I have a claim on that? No. Do I desire that? Yes. Is that something I can guarantee? Hell no. Is that something that in my bones um, I hope is the truth about this world, that God redeems it, or that God stands with it? or that love moves to the lowest parts. I'm banking it all on that. I I think of the women in in the community that I was a part of at Mercy Street, who um, told me their stories for uh, a project I was working on. And seeing some of the things that they encountered, the unspeakable trauma, was really, truly what people can do to each other. What we do out of violence and out of anger creates an evil, whatever evil is. There's a, it takes hold in people's lives in darkness. And I've seen, um, I've heard stories of these women, it doesn't make sense. Like, you know, one plus one doesn't equal two in love. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. It's, it's, it's not linear. It shouldn't make sense that um, these women who have been raped by uncles and fathers and used as receptacles and thrown away. It, it's, it doesn't make sense that um, they've woken up and that they love and that they can forgive. Right? And it's not without pain. It's not without mental illness. It's not without, I mean, it's messy, right? It's, it's, it's not, when love wakes you up, it's not like a Disney film where it's, you know, everything gets airbrushed over. I mean, there's, it's just, you still deal with depression and anxiety and fear. But there's a rootedness that won't let you go in community that continues to say to to you, this is who you are. We will not let you go. We will remind you amid all the other voices that tell you otherwise that you are loved. And I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen.
love is not linear. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Hurting people should hurt people. But somehow when they connect with Jesus, suddenly there's this, this love because they understand that it's the lifeblood. They understand that it's essential. It's what is important. In fact, people who love like that are seeing way beyond their circumstance. They're seeing into the future. A couple weeks ago, our daughter Christy came to visit us with our grandson, Xander. So we had a great time with Xander, loving him and hugging him and then handing him back when he pooped his diaper and when he cried. So they were here for five days and they left, and a couple days after they left, I had to pack up the pack and play and I had to pack up the really cool swing. And then I had to get the diapers and, and the wipes and, and give them to somebody because Pam and I, I'm 59 and she's 35. <laughs> and we don't need that stuff. You say, well, when you get older, you might need the diapers. I understand that. <laughs> Wrong size. But while Xander was there, that stuff was needed. Paul wants us to understand that spiritual expressions like these now function within the present time because we need them. In fact, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 12 validates them. In 1 Corinthians 14, he declares how they should function. He said, these are essential to who you are right now, in the place you are right now. These are vital. But they're only for the present. For Paul says this, now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus. So what happens when Jesus returns? We need tongues? No, because we're talking straight to him. He's right there. So we don't need that when Jesus shows up. You need prophets to tell you what God's doing? No, because you're watching God. You're right there. Do you need to, to be able to speak mysteries? No, because you know everything that God wants you to know when you see him. Do you need faith? No, because faith is always saying, I believe you're going to do this, and even though I don't see you, well, now I see you. Do we need sacrificing? Not anymore, because he is the ultimate sacrifice. We need it now, but we don't need it then. I'll tell you what we do need. Paul declares it this way. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. For when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. See, he says this. When the perfect arrives, when you get to see Jesus face to face, the present stuff is packed up and put away. You don't need that. Look, when, when I was a kid, when I, when I was small, I didn't even, I, I made weird noises. You know how a baby talks. And you talk back to him the same way. Do you like it? so cute. 
Well, if you came in my office to talk to me today, and I said, say, this man needs help. When we were children, we talked with children. As children, God says this stuff is childish in comparison to what it's going to be when you see him. Now, you need it now, but in the, in the future, you won't need it because you will be grown up. He says, you're looking in a mirror. It's as if I was looking in a mirror and I could see Tom Matta in a mirror. And, I, and I'm not face to face, but I can see his reflection. He said, that's what these gifts are doing. You're seeing reflection of God. You're saying, oh, that's, that's kind of like what he's like. But when I get Tom face to face, I don't need the reflection. I got face to face. And I know some things partially right now, but when I see him, I will know everything fully. Through Jesus' resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit as a deposit in me, guaranteeing that he's coming, we are future-focused people. And it simply means this. The present age is on its way out. You know it is. And we're on our way home. So if that's the case, then pack and only pack what is necessary for your future. And Paul tells us exactly what they are, for he says this, these three things remain. Faith. Next week we talk about that. Hope. The week after we talk about that. And love. We'll talk about that again in three weeks. Those are the things we pack. Those are the things we must have with us always. But those are the things that last. N.T. Wright says it this way, there are then only three things which point into the future. Faith, which looks at the God made known in Jesus and trusts him for everything. Hope, which looks ahead to God and what he will do in the future, which is already assured by Jesus' resurrection. And love, which will, will finally know as it is known and embrace it as it already embraced. And why is love the greatest of these? Because as the hymn says, faith will vanish into sight Hope will be emptied in delight, and love in heaven will shine more bright. Love is the way of the new world, which by God's grace we are connected to at this moment, and we're bound for that. So if that is the case, if love is that life, is that language that we will live forever, then we must live it now. We must learn to speak it now. We must learn to act it now, because it's our lifeblood. So let's live it out. Here's your assignment for this week. Ask God to use you this week in speaking his blessing or his encouragement into the life of someone outside the community of faith. I just When you're hanging out with people and you're not sitting in a church service, say, God, if you want me to speak anything to this person or act in any way, you just tell me. Even if they're your enemy. Or, or they live a lifestyle that just irritates you. Because anything without love is zero. Secondly, where are you not showing love? In what ways can you sincerely express love in that circumstance? I mean, what are you waiting for? Go do it. Because anything times zero is zero. So maybe it's not a dumb joke after all. To be honest with you, too many times... I think that there are some things still seriously wrong with me, and my wife concurs. <laughs> and for me to heal up, some folks have to be patient, kind, not envious, not boastful, 
not proud, not rude, not self-seeking, not easily angered, not keeping a record of wrongs, not delighting in my bad days, but rejoicing in my good ones, always protecting me, trusting that I will become better, giving me hope, persevering with me, never giving up on me, never becoming so exasperated with me that they finally say, oh, you're going to die. Because in the end, there are only three things that make up our lifeblood. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Will you stand? So now may you, as you enter into the world around you, see with God's love. May you have the courage to go beyond the boundaries that you have set for yourself into the open doors that God opens for you to love other people. May we all begin to understand that kindness is not condoning, but that kindness validates our integrity, that truth cannot be spoken unless it's spoken in love. And may you discover in doing so that the lifeblood of God courses through you. May you discover his great plan for you this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.